Pastor Ray Bentley says a centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant from right where he stood. What he's telling Jesus is, you have the authority, I know it. You don't have to physically be in my house. You don't have to see my servant. You don't even have to touch him. You say the word, it's done. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Spread the news. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. When we think of great lessons of faith in the Bible, we might think of Moses parting the Red Sea, or Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son. But today, we'll see a great display of faith on the part of a soldier, a first century centurion. We'll see how to emulate this man's boldness. Let's listen. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. The title of the message is Faith in God's Authority. Now, beginning in verse 1, follow along as I read to you. It says, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly or sincerely, passionately, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving or worthy. And then they said, quoting, for he loves our nation, speaking about Israel. He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them. This is the story of an extraordinary man, a Roman centurion. And Roman centurions were special men, to say the least. This guy apparently, and we're not told the whole story background, but apparently what had happened, the way he's described, is he fears God. And the God that he fears is the God of the Jews. He's been sent as a Roman soldier, who knows, maybe somewhere from Italy, and his post was, you're going now to the Middle East, you're going to this country called Israel, and there you will be stationed in Caesarea, or you will be here, as it were, in in Capernaum, up in north of Israel, and so you are now going to uh, be among these people, and he was there, and apparently he left all of his Greek mythology and and Roman gods and goddesses behind and said, as he was with the Jews and around the Jews and heard, became curious about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, "That's, that's right, that's true. And he fell in love with God. He began coming at a distance, apparently, honoring God, worshiping God, and then began donating money to the local Jewish community there, and in fact had given so much money that they claim he built our synagogue. So now the the leaders of some of the, the religious community in that area go to Jesus the prophet, at least as they know him, and they are giving an advertisement to Jesus. They're saying this man has demonstrated genuine faith 
and he has helped us, and he has built our synagogue, and he loves and cares for his servant. You read there in your translation, servant, but it essentially was a slave. A slave slash servant. And what was you, what's also unique about this whole scene and situation is this centurion. In those days, in the Roman culture, it was unusual for a man to have a servant in this way and care for him. And in fact, the, the idea is that this Roman centurion who has come in contact with the Jews and threw them to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Holy One of Israel, has learned to love God and he has learned to love his fellow man. That's the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you would love yourself. He had a servant who was dying. I mean, he wasn't sick. He is dying and he cared for him. Now you think of all the things, if you're gonna approach the prophet, Jesus, you've heard of all these miracles happening and, and what are you going to bring to him? The, the number one concern in his mind and in his heart was this servant. There was a special relationship. He loves this servant, is concerned about his welfare and he is almost dead. And so Jesus hears his brothers and sisters, these Jewish elders from the synagogues saying, this man is worthy. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your attention. Even though he's a Roman, even though he's a soldier, he's the real genuine article. He has faith in our God, Jesus, he is worthy. Now, look with me in verse six. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, Jesus is going to his house, the centurion sent friends to him. The centurion doesn't come to Jesus, he's at the house. Why? That's where the servant is who's dying. He's right by his side. So he sends friends to Jesus, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Before we even look at Jesus, <laughs> jaw-dropping amazement at this situation. What I find is just the beautiful irony. This centurion, he's remarkable. He says, I'm not worthy that you, a Jew, prophet, should enter under my roof. How ironic is this? The Jewish leaders had come to Jesus with this recommendation. This man is worthy. And yet the man's response is the exact opposite. I am not worthy. I am not worthy for you to even be at my house. I'm not worthy for you to even be under my roof. Now this is different from a lot of the Jewish people who with the miracles and multiplying fish and bread and the excitement and you know the amazement of miracle after miracle and demons screaming and knowing who Jesus is and being cast out of people and blind being able to see and lame being able to walk and the withered that are made whole and the deaf that are able to hear and the dumb that are able to speak and I mean on and on and on. 
that Jesus had ministered to. But this man says, I'm not even worthy to go greet you or to meet you, let alone have you come under my roof. I'm not worthy. Now, this man knew in that culture at that time that it was unlawful for a Jew to enter into the home of a Gentile. He also knew that by having a Jew come into his home, it might put a strain, at least on some, within the religious community, even though he had some who were his great defenders. Well, this man knew that, and he said, You're, you know, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. So, okay, we're talking about amazing faith. Where does it come from? It begins by us being able to see ourselves for who we really are. And that's not an easy thing. Before the 17th century, when they looked into a pond, when they held up a glass of water, they would tell you as long as it, you could see through it, it was clean. Then in the 17th century, there was a Dutchman, but he filled a glass of water and began curiously to look through this glass of, of water with a newly acquired microscope lens. And he saw very many small animalcules. And in a sense, that's what the Holy Spirit does when you come into the presence of a holy God. When, when the Holy Spirit shows what is inside of your heart and your mind and the pride and the selfishness and the ego and the lust of the flesh, it's worse than worms. And the great problem with most non-Christians, and as I mentioned here in your notes, even with many Christians, is they cannot really see themselves. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, writing about, he was reading the sermons. Can you imagine C.S. Lewis, the great storyteller, reading sermons by a great Scottish preacher named Alexander White. And as he read the sermons, which were the reflections of the Word of God by this man, Alexander White, this tremendous, uh, powerful <laughs> Scottish preacher, Lewis says, for him, the one essential symptom of the regenerate life is a permanently horrified perception of one's own natural and it seems unalterable corruption. The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to the inner cesspool. We're, we are, how many have found when you look inside that you're a sinner and, and it, the more you look, the worse it gets. And, and oh, I, it just, you know, it hurts me. On the one hand, it drives me crazy. On the other hand, it hurts me because so much of the self-help that's out there that's popular and that sells is like, you know, the answer is in you. And look inside of yourself. And, and I want to go, oh, no, don't do that. You don't want to go that way. You don't want to go in. It's, you know, they, they talk about, many of you are familiar with the philosophers and existentialism, which is there's no reality, there's no truth, it's all, you know, it's what you perceive. And so they basically, so go inside and it's tragic. It, it's sad. It's, you know what it ends up, it's so depressing in, in there, alone. Now look how you and I were made. Now, now, this is not the whole story because as I also mentioned in your notes, while it is true that Christianity that ignores sin becomes sick, Christianity that sees only sin has forgotten grace. Never forget that you, yes, with sin in and through us, but yet still it is true of me and you and all of you, my brothers and sisters, you are made 
in the image of God. You are tonight made in the image of God. And you know what's interesting? Even the way God made you and designed you is a reflection of what will set you free. He gave you two eyes. Guess which way the eyes are made to operate? To look outside of you. They're not, what good would it be to have eyes that were turned in looking in your brains? Your ears are not turned inward to hear, you know, heartbeats and other, you know, organs and things functioning. Your ears are turned outward. In fact, everything about you is to take that which is your personality and let you communicate with that which is outside. That's why the Bible says, behold, the heavens declare the glory of God. You get to see it with his beauty. Wow, what an artist. What, a, what an amazing artist God is. How powerful, how glorious. And when you hear, you know, whether it's a little hummingbird's wings, you know, or, or the sounds of, of nature or water going over a brook, it's just, it, it, it revives you. God reveals himself through nature, but he gets way even more personal through his son, Jesus Christ. So listen, the journey, don't go in. All right, talk about losing your footing on the rock. If you don't see clearly, you will spiral down and the ground will come up too fast. Look out. The Bible says, look out and look up. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. So many listeners have shared comments on what Pastor Ray has meant to them. Pastor Ray is greatly missed. He was an anointed man of God, and we take comfort in our Lord and Savior as Ray is rejoicing in heaven with Jesus and all the heavenly hosts singing glory to God. Pastor Ray's teachings continue here on the radio thanks to the support from listeners like you. If you'd like to partner with Ray Bentley Ministries and Maranatha Radio, just go to our website, www.raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. It is possible to become more aware of the, the angels and the work of the Spirit. And do you realize in the book of Acts, they were so used to dreams and visions and angels and everything that, that Peter, you remember when the angel came and he got woken up and he was walking outside, he didn't know, now was that a dream or did it really happen? How would you like to be so used to the supernatural, you don't know, okay, now was that a dream or is this real that I am out here? What a great place to be. So aware of the spirit, so aware of God's protective angels, so aware of the presence of the Lord. I believe that God wants to bring the church, you know, the church has long talked about, how do we get back to the way it was in the days of Acts? And the glory of the Lord that was, people gave up everything, shared, took care of one another, loved one another, shared in common with one another, had these agape feasts and provide. It was the antithesis of Rome that was falling apart was this community that, that met called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. It was like this wild family that could have an emperor and a slave and, and it could have the rich and the poor and a Jew and a Gentile and a man and a woman, you know, both male and female, and they were one body in Christ. That's what the world is looking for. That's the great hope. The great hope is the kingdom of God. Amen? I mean, you know, I love our country and, and God bless 
the United States of America, but the ultimate answer, and while I thank God that I live here and I thank God for my citizenship here, democracy is not the eternal answer. Uh, it's a good measure along the way. It's the best system perhaps in a fallen world of checks and balances, but there's something better coming, and that is called the kingdom of God, where the king, the problem with the kingdom here now on earth is you got one guy and you got a 50-50 chance. You got a good king, things are good. You get a bad king, which 99.9% .9 are, it, things are gonna be tough. But when your king is holy and pure and righteous and loves his kingdom so much that he'll be crucified to protect them and save them and he'll destroy the works of the devil and crush the enemy's head for you and rise from the dead and then crown you and reward you forever and ever. Hey, man, the kingdom, that's, that's what I'm excited about more than anything else. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Now, so this guy comes to Jesus and says, I'm not worthy. So hopefully we can agree and say, Lord, I'm not worthy, but you are worthy. Now, again, look with me in uh, verses 8 through 10. It says in verse 8, For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. I say to another, Come, he comes. To my servant, Do this, he does it. So what he's telling Jesus is, You have the power and the authority. I know it. You don't have to physically be in my house. You don't have to see my servant. You don't even have to touch him. You say the word, it's done. I know it. Because I too am a man under authority and of authority. And I command people, and if I can command soldiers and they do my bidding, I know you have a greater power and a greater authority. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I would love, I would love to see that. Jesus amazed. That's God, amazed, marveling, going, wow. Did you guys see that? He turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they don't have the faith of this Gentile. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Just as the, as, and the guy said, I told you, all Jesus has to do is give the word and it's done. Our confidence is in him, in his power, in his ability. And many people were coming to Jesus for what he would do for them. Okay, I want, I want you to make me, you know, get all the bad stuff out of me. I want you to heal me. I want you to feed me. I want you to, I want you to make me happy all the time. And it was always, what can you do for me? Do for me, do for me, do for me. But here was a guy who honored Jesus and who came to Jesus and, and honored him and came for him was brought to him personally. And the Lord was blessed by it and the Lord was honored by it. Authority is the right and the power to command. Because this man was under authority, he recognized Jesus was a man of power and authority. There's a little bit in our culture that is a little wrong that sometimes as Christians we bring to the Bible. It is great that we have this very independent spirit, individualistic spirit, libertarian kind of, you know, going out and moving west and we can do it on our own, etc. But there's an exaggeration of that that is not only unbiblical, it's unhealthy and in fact is not very God-honoring. Because you become too independent, well, what do you need Jesus for? What do you need God for? And why do you need your brother for? And why do you need your sister for? God made us not 
totally independent, then we would be all gods. He made us something even better than that, interdependent. I, I don't want to live forever. I don't want to be God. I just want to say right now, I don't want to be God, ever. I don't want to be God. But I, I can't believe how amazing and awesome it is that I have the privilege of being a son of God, a daughter of God. I get to be in his family. How awesome is that? And then, because I am the son, I have forever, I'm not alone, I have a daddy. I have a father. And I have not only a father, but I have brothers. I have millions of brothers, and I have sisters, and a variety of millions of sisters. And we have this family. And the, and the joy of eternity is the infinite variety of all the personalities and the gifts and the talents. You are never going to be bored for the rest of eternity. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Adventure after adventure. You know, the, the great book of heaven and eternity. In fact, the idea is that throughout the exceeding ages, God will be revealing his grace and his glory. And, and imagine you, 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 the first thousand years uh, where the earth is restored to what it was like in the days of the Garden of Eden and even beyond. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's sitting there in Jerusalem. And I believe that first thousand years called the millennium is where the Lord's going to say, this is what I had in mind for Adam and Eve and all you, your descendants. This is what it was supposed to be like. Lion lying down with a lamb. How cool would it be to go up to a lion? He's not going to bite your neck. There will be no fear for the animals anymore. They will not, and they will not prey upon one another anymore. I mean, you know what? If you love and honor the environment, the best thing you can do is pray for the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, there is nothing better. And, but after a thousand years, it says, then God creates a new heaven and new earth. Okay, it's page two of eternity. And I believe the Lord's just going to take, as it were, this big page and go like that. And all of a sudden, he will have brought us into another level of things that we will see and hear and feel. Who knows how long we'll fall upon our faces, weeping, crying, standing, laughing, whatever. And then when you just barely, barely get used to all this new, incredible new heavens and new earth, God says, that's nothing. Watch this. And we go even further, deeper into all of the, and, we'll, and God, being God, you'll never get to the end. It's always gonna get better. Every chapter is better than the one before, as C.S. Lewis said. Who doesn't want that? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, amen? So in the meantime, build your house on a rock. The rock is obedience. Trust God, even when you know, the world says, oh, do it this way, be independent. Oh, I don't wanna be independent. I don't wanna be alone. I wanna be with you guys. When the tough times come, I want a brother, I want a sister. I want somebody to cry with me. I want somebody to laugh with me. I wanna have all the adventures God has for me with people that I love and that I enjoy and be in the family of God and know him and love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. Pastor Ray Bentley, Closing with some great words of encouragement. We're in chapter 7 of our study tour through the Gospel of Luke here on Maranatha Radio. Now, today's study is titled Faith in God's Authority. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. There at the homepage, there's a place to leave a written tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And by clicking Media, you'll see the words Watch, Radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. 
In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can arrange to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions each day automatically at no charge, and also link to his YouTube and Facebook pages. So why not bookmark it? RayBentley.com. And you'll find Pastor Ray's books, including his brand new one, The Final Witness, and The Cyrus Mandate, both page-turning prophetic fiction novels in the Elijah Chronicles series. You'll see End Times Prophecy in a whole new light. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also donate securely right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.